0: This is a Taming the Ferrets experience.
1: Hey, Tony. What have you yeah. been up to?
0: <laughs> hey, Emil. Hey, look. This week, um, I went to a, an event. Actually, it was a Property Investors Association event, and they had a guest okay. speaker. And it was interesting because this speaker came in from an investigations perspective um, around tenants like what, a private eye yeah like a private investigator um, what? Um, he's not as good looking as Tom Selleck and Mag- magnum Pi but it was really interesting some of his stories great personality fun very positive mindset um, okay. and he's doing and he has been working with businesses and their privacy in terms of trade as well which I've, I've known
1: like credit terms and that sort of thing correct and I've known him for a while
0: and I thought hey look he'll be he'll be fantastic some of the stories he's got about methamphetamine, the dark side of Tauranga and, and what we don't know, and what goes on. Um, wow. Three AM stakeouts. So, hey, look, those are really cool stories. So let's get them on the podcast. <laughs> After I woke up from my crash, I had a particular set of
2: skills that I didn't have before my accident. So when I crashed, some weird things happened. Really weird things. happened like time stopped, and I saw I saw things. It was just really odd, and then. When I woke up, I could not read people's minds, but I could, I knew things that I shouldn't know.
0: A collection or a group of ferrets is called a business. Taming the Ferret shares and dissects the stories behind local businesses, the founders, entrepreneurs, leaders, influencers, figureheads, operators and employees. This show offers key insights, tips, tricks, hacks and breakthrough moments and the stories of who these people are, why they do what they do and where they do it. Tune in to hear the stories behind local businesses, local people, and for all those that want to tame their own ferrets. Welcome to New Zealand's most awarding business podcast. Here we go. Welcome. <laughs> welcome back. Taming the Ferrets are out, and I'm so proud to have finally in the in the studio, private investigator, entrepreneur, Magnum PI, look like, working for that Ferrari, Nick Kerr. How are you today, Nick? Wonderful. How are you guys?
1: We are well, and welcome to the Taming of the Ferrets. Taming of the Ferrets? Yeah, the question that comes to mind is, who are you, what do you do, and where are you from?
2: So my name's Nick. I was born in Upper Hutt and moved to Tauranga when we were two. Yeah that's early I mean originally I was in re- in utero but that
0: ended swiftly okay. so you, you could say you were born at a very young age.
2: I was born at a very young age yeah actually very short age as well I've never been so short <laughs> so yeah and then my professional career started off selling working in retail while I was studying commercial law and marketing at the Wellington Technical Institute and I was going to go on and do a LLB to do my law, law degree and I got headhunted by an electronics company and um, when I was about 22 to go and run some of their sales for them. And then, yeah, didn't get to finish my law degree. Ended up in Tauranga when I was probably 20, 2007, so I was 26, and was running an area for a debt collection company. It's a big
1: jump. Yes going from student legal student to debt collecting
2: yes well i mean i was working for a large electronics company doing corporate sales and negotiation and high security type stuff some stuff with the military some other government departments all under ndas yeah so then i um my son was two and we decided to move back to tauranga to be closer to my parents and offered a job to to run an area for the collection company and then in 2015, I crashed my motorbike and couldn't walk for two years. And I had a lot of time in hospital to think about what I wanted to do. So I wanted a job that was exciting, that I could use my skills of ferreting around. And finding out things. Yeah, just I never wanted to have to feel like I was working ever again. So I designed my perfect job. And what is your perfect job? Being, I don't want to sound idealistic, but the ideal job is one that is satisfying for both you and your client. So you achieve a goal, something that you can do that others can't find very easy to do, that's well paid and will always be in need. So I thought either everyone starts becoming really honest and not lying to each other and not cheating each other and not stealing from each other or there'll be a ready market for a good investigation company that does things ethically so what is the name of your business international private investigations it's under the ipi group so we've got four divisions of ipi group
1: and what are they what are the four divisions cover so
2: you have got ipi investigations which does fraud investigations sort of up to the sfo level sort of anything under sort of 1.6 million that's whether it be document fraud, finance fraud, benefit fraud, we're not really that into because the uh, MSD has their own investigators, but basically anything that has to do with one person's dishonesty that costs another person money. Uh, the one thing we don't touch is infidelity because it's gross because no one's ever happy. Either they think something's going on and it is, they're not happy. They think something's going on and it isn't, and they're not happy. Or, or they just don't believe that you're any good because you haven't found it. Or three, there is something going on, you find it, and then people don't do anything. So they just stay in the situation they were in before, they just know more. And then no one was to pay.
0: So you're saying that's not a um, an area that you're staying away from, is yeah. it? Because from experience that, you have done it? or just... Yeah, it's yeah. pretty gross. Especially now
2: with the methamphetamine epidemic, the people are, uh, in our experience, more... Promiscuous, less moral and more paranoid all at the same time. So, yeah, people think someone's cheating on them. It could be an absolute. I mean, most of the time when you think someone's cheating on you, they are. And there's a few simple ways to figure out whether they are or not really. But yeah, it's just a thing that we chose not to be. And, and also the stuff that we don't go near is um, anything to do with kids other than finding them. If the police can't find them, we can do that. But anything to do with the exploitation of children as a father, we I can't I can't deal with that kind of thing and I I don't want to be anywhere near evidence or anything like that of that nature because yeah.
0: So it kinda of brings me on to one of your first jobs around you're talking about finding kids and saving kids and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Tell us about one of your first jobs and Miss Kid and Gretchen.
2: Oh yes, yeah. So this is in the early days, really early days of our company. I was approached by a lady and she said that her I think her niece had gone missing with her child, who she had a, she wasn't legally allowed to be in the company of this child because of her various addictions and, and whatnot, and she went missing with this child, and, and the police were looking for them, I think, about six months trying to find them, so um, she rang us and said, how much would it cost you to find this child? We had no idea because we'd never done it before, but I gave her a price, which was about a quarter of what we're charged now, and she said, okay, let me know when you found the child. So we just did some investigations and followed the logical steps and about four hours later we found the child in a Gretin hotel. Oh not a hotel, that's very generous. An accommodation facility and a, res- an, an establishment. An establishment and just so we called her and said we found the child and she contacted the police and just as as we were watching the place as the police went in, her drug dealer arrived with a sack full of drugs to enjoy in the company of a, a toddler. While allegedly she was also selling other commodities, personal commodities services. services and yeah, as the police walked in they found a man with a large sack of drugs, a, a toddler who had to actually be taken to hospital and decontaminated because the child had been on, um, effectively been on meth since the day they were born.
0: Well, okay, so I, I can see that this could get really deep really quickly, <laughs> the, this podcast. Um, and, and already you've piloted a few things, so you've tamed a lot of ferrets, including those in, in our community, and the underbelly of, mm. of what actually is here. So let's go, we'll come to those sobering stories, but there's got obviously there's some successes there, child was saved. Absolutely. You know, which is great. And we talked about the infidelity, you talked about the, the child saving, that was your first job mm-hmm. as an investigation and you, went, you didn't finish law degree? No. Nope. And you're kind of on the other side of the law, actually almost helping police, sometimes doing some of the stuff that the police can't do. Yeah, well, them.
2: It's just a fact that like, I know a lot of people in the police and they're very under-resourced for what they do. It's a pretty thankless job. That's why... We have ex-police try and work for us all the time. They call us, hey, you do a similar work, but you get paid, the, you know, you pay your agents three times more than we earn. Can you come and, yeah, we can work for you. But and often it's no, because they're trained in a certain way that, I don't know, sort of blocks you off from the opportunities, like all you, your, your intuition you're sort of taught out of, if you know what I mean, like they're made to follow certain things, which is all good for certain types of investigation, but when you're dealing with people that don't think like you would normally think, people that are on certain things or have experienced certain things in life or part of a certain group, you have to understand that group to be able to understand those people, therefore to find where they are and to anticipate what they're doing. Yeah, so that's...
0: So within within, within the investigation role, obviously, there's a lot of stuff that happens in the background, a lot of research, analyzing what's going on, a little observation from afar. Yeah. I'm assuming that you've got some investigation, you know, there'll be some 3 a.m., 4 a.m., some late nights that you guys do? Not as many as you'd think. Right. Okay. Yeah. So because we're a licensed
2: repossession company and investigation company, there's hours that we're allowed to work. So for any sort of repossessions we're allowed to be a, a... Work from six am to nine pm. Anything after that is just theft. So, or anything after that or before that is theft. So, there's very strict license conditions that you have to adhere to. Um, we've done a couple of three am, four am stakeouts, but that's only to see where assets are. Often people won't be up at three or four am, but there's certain parts of community that are very much up at three or four am. And, yeah, it can be very difficult to track people down, but usually at that time of night or the morning, people are where they're going to be. So they're at, at their house or at some sort of accommodation. Or-
1: so when it comes to ER, seems quite glamorous because of the way it's been portrayed in the movies. The reality is that, for the most part, you... Sitting in the car, yep, talking and watching,
2: talking nonsense. In my case, it's my best friend and my business partner. So, so we, we, like, we just spend hours talking stuff, but it's also about being very aware of things around you and also not being conspicuous. So, like, our vehicles are unmarked. We've got other vehicles that we use, like camper vans and really common cars. So none of them are outfitted with anything particular, rather than sort of maybe some portable cameras and bike finders and heat-seeking thermal imaging cameras. But like, the cars themselves aren't fitted out with anything in particular. Do you have a selection of cars? Yeah. What cars do you have? i got f- <laughs> four myself and that company's got another two. And what are they? Oh, I can't tell you all of them because <laughs> some of them are oh, one, yeah, yeah. So I've got a 1962 Morris Minor <laughs> and a um a new Peugeot 508 GT and a BMW 1 series Toyota white camper van. That's the uh the side benefits of your job. Yeah, and and a BMW
0: custom motorcycle we're just finished building. That's more for fun. So I'm glad you're keeping your fleets of vehicles very generic. Yes. Yeah, because there's plenty of 1962 Morris around. Yes. <laughs> but those
2: are, the, those are the, the personal vehicles. The other cars yeah, yeah, that yeah, I yeah. can't describe are the ones that have, like, if you ran the number plates, you wouldn't find out what sort of car it was. Finance companies can't find it.
0: Other um, investigators can't find it. The only people that can find it is the Ministry of Justice and the police. So when you were setting up the investigation company, so as you mentioned, you fell into the investigations game. Yeah, I guess, and then sort of, hey, you know, going back to your motorcycle accident, massive life changing event, lying on your back for a long time, recovering from that accident, and then just thinking about what you're going to do, how you're going to do your perfect job. Yeah, how did you go about starting that? Because obviously, it's not just you as your best mate. Yeah, you know, you've got your business partner, and you're thinking, man, I need to understand people. I need to understand psychology. I need to understand analytics. How did you, A, go from this is what I want to do to this is what I've done and well, how do it's
2: it. actually kind of weird, and I don't talk about it all that often, but after I woke up from my crash, I had – I was going to sound like Spider-Man or something, but I had a particular set of skills that I didn't have before my accident. Right. So when I crashed, I don't – I some weird things happened, really weird things. happened, like time stopped, and I saw I saw things. It was just really odd. And then when I woke up, I could not read people's minds, but I could I knew things that I shouldn't know. More intuitive, way more intuitive, probably a hundred times more intuitive. But also I lost all fear. So we coming that close to death. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Well, oh, I seen the other side. Oh, I saw okay. the other side. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah it, it was just – so all of a sudden, I'd woken up. And, it, I just felt really different, and I just – I don't know. I went from being quite a fearful person who wouldn't want to have conflict or anything like that. I would sort of um, – <laughs> Yeah, the, the microphone is looking at you. really funny. Man. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so And it was really odd. I just woke up feeling very sore and just – I don't know, like someone would walk into the room and I'd answer a question that they didn't ask. And I'd, they'd say, why did you say that? And I said, oh, because you asked me. And they said, I didn't say it out loud. And I was like, well, that's weird. So, and yeah, I, I just had no fear. Like six months after starting the company, I was asked to go and repossess a caravan from a murder scene. And I just, I was like, well, okay, good. And I only had one leg. I was on like a like a um, a pig leg. So I don't know if you've ever saw it, but it was like a pig leg. And I rocked up to this active scene, apparently, and I said, oh, I'm here to get the caravan. And the guy said, you don't know whose house this is, do you? And I was like, well, I don't really care whose house it is, I'm just come to get the caravan. And he said, it's this person's name. And I ran the person's name and I was like, oh, okay, fair enough. So just w- walked in and then... <laughs> you're still there to get the caravan. Exactly. I just said, I'm here to get the caravan. And the guy's like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, nothing, I've got a broken leg. <laughs> um, and he said, no, but you shouldn't be here. This is really dangerous, so you could get killed. And I'm like... Not it's so good, so I went and got the caravan, and on the way, um, away from a particular place. Because if I see the place, you'll know who it was and where what happened there. And the police pulled me over with the caravan on the back of my ute. And they said, oh, where did you get this from? And I was like, this address. And they said, that's the caravan that two people were just murdered in. And I was like, oh, oops, sorry about that. <laughs> and he, yeah, so we had to take it to them to get evidence out of it. But they said, how did you get out of there? I said, I didn't, I didn't have any, there was no fear, there was no reason to be scared. And they said, but this guy's just murdered two people with a shotgun. I said, well, it wasn't three, so we're all good. I got the job done. and it was, Yeah, and it, it's taken a while to temper that lack of fear with some sort of sensible. There's good fear and there's bad. Exactly. So I'm sort of starting to learn that now, but, but we've done over a thousand gang repossessions in the time that we've been around and haven't been touched once.
0: So you're almost, rather than feeling the fear and doing it anyway, you're doing it anyway and the fear may come yeah. or it may not because it's not there.
2: Exactly. But if you if you strip away fear and, and and all those emotions that sort of preempt your impression of someone, then it actually it's actually really helpful because you actually see the person rather than what they've tried to project. Like some of the nicest people I've ever met in my life are patch gang members and it's not that, you know, they've been – Invited to my birthday party, or I'll be invited to them because you know, under our, our license, even if we wanted to, we're not allowed to associate with anyone that that the government defines as being part of a criminal organisation. But yeah, it's just if you strip away the fear and the intimidation side of it, they're just nice. A lot of them are just really nice people that are just part of a group and. But depending on what's going on in their childhood, it might just be the natural way to do it. Like I went into business because my dad went into business. If my dad was in a motorcycle club or a gang, then what would stop me from following his footstep? And I, yeah. So that's one thing we've really learned is just treat people like they're nice, and they normally will be. If you treat someone like they're scary, they'll be scarier. If you treat someone like they're horrible, they'll be more horrible. If you treat someone like they're nice, they'll be more, they'll be nice because yeah, you just go, out, mate. It's nice to see you." Rather than "Give me your car." Is a real different way of doing it. How
1: do you, how do you prioritize ethical considerations? Your at standards?
2: the top, at the top, we will never do anything that we. Oh, one ethics are sort of taken out of your hand a little bit because your license conditions are very very strict, and so they should be. Like, like, you shouldn't give someone the right to effectively break a door down. What you can legally do if it's in a shed and and your and the assets are inside, you can enter, causing reasonable damage. But you don't want to be giving those kind of rights to people that are going to use it for what's wrong because you can very easily affect someone's life very negatively. Post-traumatic stress
1: syndrome or trauma?
2: Yeah, there's that. But also as simple as taking someone's car at the wrong time. So you'd never take a a single mum's car off her at like quarter past eight in the morning. You know what I mean? Because one, you're leaving no time for them to get alternative transportation and two, that's just a really bad way to start a school day. You you have to think about not just how how you act towards someone, but how you, like I've had people send their kids out to me at like four or five years old and say,
1: why are you taking daddy's car?
2: Like, um, Because daddy hasn't paid his (laughs) bills. Not that we can say that under the privacy, but it's just basically, you know, there are certain ways to do things. It's not what you do often, it's how how you do it. And it's the respect that you show to people. Even though a lot of people say, or may say that these people aren't aren't deserving of respect, they are as people. It's just they've made a bad decision.
0: So ultimately, who are are your, your customers? Who are you providing the service for?
2: Big finance companies, banks. Leasing companies, liquidators, getting a lot of liquidations coming through. Right. There's 11,000 companies just been struck off last, uh, in the last, I think that's the last year, 11,000. Wow. And every one of those companies, they um, in a large enough liquidation, there's investigation to do for avoidable transactions, for director misconduct, for preferential payments being paid to friends and family. Tax implications, although we don't really get into that kind of thing mm-hmm. at all. Um, yeah.
1: So going into a tough economic time. Yes. Going back to that previous conversation about people being one or two bad decisions away from. Yeah. Being in a situation Absolutely. where compound. I've been in
2: that situation before as a, as a young and man. It's
1: helpful to understand where the other... Where oh, of the, course. Where the... The offender is, from a mental point of view, and why they're doing things.
2: Yeah, exactly. It's just often desperation. But it's when it's fueled by addiction, that's when it becomes very difficult to deal with. Because most people can change their behavior if they change the driver behind the behavior. So a person who is, like, I believe that drugs don't affect who you are. It affects what you do. So there might be something that's completely out of the realm of possibility for all of us. Maybe even like smashing a car window and grabbing a phone and then selling it at an op shop or not an op shop, a pawn shop and going to buy drugs. But when someone's in that mindset, that's all they can think about. That pretty much takes over what they do, but not who they are.
1: So what advice, I know ultimately there's a wave of emotion that's dictating a lot of the behavior. But business, small business owners facing the wall or the crest of a waterfall uh, of circumstance, how would you go? What would you say to them? What would the advice be? Uh, It's obvious, it seems, but there's people that have been listening to this
2: podcast that are small business owners that have become really relevant. Yeah, One is don't prepare for behavior you can't predict. So have ways of being able to predict behavior. So understand the financial position of your clients. If you have large, because I I mean, for the last 20 years, I've been doing credit consulting for small businesses. So that's something that's becoming more and more prevalent is people becoming a secured creditor, people doing credit checks on their clients when they didn't used to. Because just because you know someone doesn't mean they're going to do right by you. Most people, I mean, it's very hard to be severely offended or let down by someone you don't trust. Because if, if you're being let down by someone you don't trust, you're just having an interaction with someone that you don't trust. If you if someone lets you down, that means that we're in a position of trust. But make sure that that position is justified. So checks and balances? Yeah. like It's just like buying a used car. The other day we had to go to a local town and relieve a young lady of a $27,000 ute. Now she'd saved up her whole life to buy this ute. Pretty Much was all of her savings, but the person that she sold it to owed a lot of money on it and was quite dishonest in the way that he dealt with her. And then he moved overseas. So if she'd done a $17 car jam on that car before she bought it, she never would have bought it. And ca- she would have ca- said carjam.com, carjam.co.nz. <laughs> it's yeah, it's like $17, like- and it just yeah, I don't know why you wouldn't. It's Facebook marketplaces where most of the cars that we have to go and that our, our repossession division has to go and repossess is Facebook marketplace cars. If you see a $10,000 car on Facebook for $5,000, it probably owes seven to someone else, you know. And you've got no legal comeback on finance company on the car. You can't keep the car no matter what unless you
0: pay for it again. Those are interesting points, and obviously there's the finance companies that are engaging you to, to, yeah. to re- repay those back. Or to release them from their current place of or the location. So, how did you get those clients? Was it just word of mouth? Was it reputation? Was it the, yeah, it just, was just, just the, I've got no fear, I'll go get your stuff back?
2: Yeah, it was mainly going to people and saying, give me your hardest case, give me your impossible to solve case. And which may seem a little bit, I don't know, arrogant. No fear. But hey, we've all got a reputation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but so basically we, went, we did some research and we found out who one of the founders of this particular finance company was and knew that we had some people in common with him and went and saw him and said, give us your hardest job. And he gave us a job that was a vehicle that had been put in a shipping container and moved somewhere in the world, somewhere. <laughs> he told us what sort of car it was. And, and the person's name, and that's all. We didn't know what country he'd gone to or anything. So we spent probably a week on it, probably about four or $5,000 worth of investigation time, and then found it in an upholstery shop in Devonshire in England. Wow. Yeah. And then I gave the guy a call and said, hey, mate, are you the guy that I saw at this meet um, with this white particular brand car, a very, very rare car? And he said, yeah, mate, that's me. And I said, well, you might want to bring it back to New Zealand or maybe pay for it. And he said, how did you even find me? And I said, because I was told to. I, had, I was. This was what I, I promised my client, and that was for just under a week. And we found that car, and he said, I can't believe you found that car. I said, cool. Tell your friends. Give me your next one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then so now we've got every single branch of that particular finance company in the, all the areas that we work in exclusively.
1: Well, so, are there any misconceptions uh, about investigations, repossession? Oh, industry? very much.
2: That we have gang member thugs. And you know, like baseball week, bats. Baseball bats and you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. We don't work like that. Because one I've always said if you went to a church trying to find a fight, you'd find one. If you went to a mosque trying to find a fight, you'd have you'd find one. You go to a Buddhist, you know, monastery, you'd find a fight if you went looking for one. In the same way if you go into a potentially contentious situation and you're looking for resolution, you'll find that. So it's just basically arming yourself with your intention the way that you want to do it. But yeah, it's not turn up at six in the morning, kick your door and threaten you, tell you to do this and then steal your car with all your stuff inside it and then go through everything. You know, like those old sort of um, stereotypes of repo guys, like that hasn't been a reality since about 2010 when when you had to be licensed to be a repossession agent.
0: So, talk about the license for a minute. You mentioned the license a bit. What does it take to become licensed? What have you? Got, what's the steps you have got to go through? To-
2: you've usually got to have a background in either the collection industry, like I had. I had twelve years of collection experience. You can work in military intelligence, so like for GCSB or military intelligence, or you could be a police officer for a certain amount of time. I certainly wasn't one of them. I'm too short and i got flat feet. And you couldn't walk out through a motorcycle accident? Yeah. And I couldn't walk out of a motorcycle accident. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, it's, it's not easy to get. They, they go through your life pretty much and you, you can't have any connections to anyone that's bad. Or in their eyes, bad. Or you, you certainly can't have any criminal convictions yourself. So there's a reasonable barrier of entry to do what you do. Not very much. And it's hard to keep, too. Yes. Because yeah. anyone can, like, some of the complaints that agents have had are ridiculous. And then often often we have, like, cams on us or we've we'll, we'll got, like, a um, a camera in our ute that will cover the situation that we're in just for our safety. And people say, you did this, 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 this. And then you go and play the tape and say, which part happened? And they're like, oh, no, because one complaint, they have to um, they have to investigate it. And if you get found to be in breach of your license, you, you, you can just lose your license. And then your whole business gone. So
0: I'm assuming there's a lot of your cases that will go to court.
2: A, a lot more lately because of a lot of the business collapses, we're serving a lot of bankruptcy notices, huge ones. Banks are starting not to muck around so much. Uh, they're starting to enforce their, de- uh, their depositions, especially in the forestry industry and the construction industry. So, and in, whereas maybe in the past they'd give them six months to trade out of it, now they're just going, no, we've got to pull the trigger now, because what happens, the minute that that company stops stops trading, the magpies come in and all the gear goes. So the ex-staff they haven't been paid, the suppliers that haven't been paid just come in and grab stuff out of the yard. It's about controlling the distribution of assets. So that's why they will call us maybe just before they put it into liquidation you go this is going to happen say if it's a forestry company they've got you know two million dollars worth of gear scattered from far north down to Gore you know in the bush so our job is to locate those those assets and know where they are before they go into liquidation
0: so there's a lot of intelligence required Eq Rq relationship intelligence and with your accident you know you had this um, this newfound gift yeah so I mean from a business perspective, understanding people and have people relationships and having courageous conversations or managing conflict is a huge part of your, Absolutely. your, your job. jobs. phenomenal. Ethics and conflict resolution and resolving that conflict before there's conflict. Yeah. You know, so I guess what you are saying before around going into the situation, looking for a solution rather than a fight. Yeah. Which we can, I mean, all, all, most businesses can, can do that staff, yeah, employees, everything, just having that right mindset. They're very, very interesting. We go real deep.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, psychology. In our experience, when it comes to crucial conversational, courageous conversations, it starts with two things. Mutual purpose, mutual respect. If you respect them and they appreciate you, respect them, and ultimately you want to get a solution, ultimately you've got something that can de-escalate. Yes, absolutely. And if you come with that attitude, there's a great way to progress. Yeah, exactly. You get a win-win.
2: And everyone's got a humanizing aspect. To them, or there'll be something that you can connect with people on. So with me, it's either cars, kids, because I've got four kids myself. You know, like um, I can understand things from a parent's perspective. I can understand things from a person who's had ill health, who's had you know, who's been in an accident. You can, as long as you can find some empathy with someone to connect with them, then you're much more likely on ground. Put yourself in issues. If you're wearing a hat and you put your hat up. But like just up on an angle, that makes about a 20% difference. Positive. Yeah, because I can see your face more. If you come to the door smiling, say, know, mate, nice to see you. Rather than, hello, this is my name, here is what I'm here for. You set the tone of what you want the interaction to be. Like if you tell them and go, you bloody useless weasel, where's your bloomin' car, you know, you rotter, <laughs> or other such language.
0: <laughs> um, You're keeping it clean, I'm impressed,
2: mate. Oh, thanks very much. <laughs>
0: it's a kid's show.
2: <laughs> yeah, so... But if you turn up, but it's all about not carrying your energy from one job to the next. Like we might have one job where a person who knows a convicted sex offender and you know how us as dads feel about people that are predators to kids. You know, there's nothing, you know, there's nothing worse. So you just, you sort of had to blind yourself from that and deal with that situation and then go on to the new situation. But just don't take any of that with you
0: you're reframing a lot of the situations you could be in, and and that's obviously going to help with your mental health yes you know because um, i can imagine if you go into this um world and that you're constantly in conflict constantly what's going to happen here what's the and and forget about the fear just that well look at this situation depressing 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 and you could have massive you know that will have obviously have an effect on you and, and and your guys yeah doing some of the investigations and repo work so you're maintaining a positive mental mindset to keep that positive mental mindset. So, yeah. So you're putting things in context of, okay, how can I go in the situation? What is it going to look like? And you have time to do that and look at look at things before you knock on that door. Yes. You know, and I guess from a company perspective or a business perspective, it's you know, putting those that people first and putting yourself in their shoes. Oh, of course. You know to understand, okay, what. If I was in that situation, what would I do? How would I react? Okay, cool, that's... And then reimagining that rather than... Why aren't they just doing their job? They should just be doing their job.
2: <laughs> but also, it's about being realistic about risk. So there's an area in the Bay of Plenty that we don't go to anymore on the east side of the Bay of Plenty. Sure, there's, there's lots of lovely people that, that live there, but unfortunately, there's two police officers and about 100 patch gang members in this particular town. And we went to take one car off one guy. He started to pull the engine apart. On the ground, we said, mate, you need to not do that because, you know, this engine's part of the car. And he goes, all right, cool, <laughs> get the cops. So we, we had to. We very very seldom do we call the cops. Probably one out of every 300 jobs that we do do we get the police involved. One is because they don't show up particularly quickly because they've got other stuff to do. Two is when they do show up, they don't know the law and they don't know how they can it's help. It's
1: like a civil action
2: instead of a criminal action. Exactly. So we have to often educate the officer what their role is and they ring their head off or ring up their legal advisors and you know the job is pretty much to assist us in to stop a, a breach of the peace whereas but usually when they when the data calls them they, they're calling them to stop us from doing our job which we just say to them hey you can get them here absolutely you're more than welcome to bring them but just please understand this is what's going to happen there's nothing that they can do to stop us taking this vehicle
0: hey you're halfway through the current podcast that you listen to i hope you're enjoying the show now's a great time to hear from one of our sponsors, which is thepodhub.com. Unlock your podcast potential with our all-in-one
1: podcast service. Welcome to the future of podcasting at thepodhub.com. We offer an all-in-one podcast service that caters to your every need. Whether you're a DIY enthusiast, prefer a collaborative approach, or want us to take care of everything for you, we've got you covered. Do it yourself. Unleash your creativity. Or do it together. Collaborate and amplify. Or done for you. Professional excellence. Simplified. Ready to revolutionize your podcasting journey? Join us at the podhub.com and tap into the power of your all-in-one podcast service. Sounds great. Now back to the
0: regular schedule program. So how do you, you know, what's, what's your next step? How are you going to grow the business? Because you mentioned a couple of things that you don't do mm-hmm. and that you've learned over time that you're not going to do. And from a strategic perspective, and a strategic planning perspective, you know, a lot of a lot of strategy is actually restricting opportunities and, and saying what you're not going to do. Exactly. So, how do you go through that strategic planning stage, or you know, is it we're going to go for this client and or this finance company or that kind of thing? And you know, is it hey, we're going to go to Australia? Is is there growth plans there? Or, yeah, or? There,
2: there's definitely growth plans. So basically, I'm not getting any younger. Um, my hair is a very grey shade of brown. So we. Um, We are going to get out of, eventually, get out of the repo game for small, like, it's not really worth our time to go and pick up one vehicle, when our strategy, because my business partner, who will go unnamed, he is a strategic legend, like, he can organise a 20 piece of equipment, pick up with military precision, and get the best guys involved, like, by the time that we had to um, uplift five, five ton military helicopters. He organised it from start to finish, and the trucks, everything. It was just, it was perfect. My job is to find the people, because that's what I can do. I found a lady in a mud hut in Nui with no phone, no internet, nothing, and we um, helped her become a millionaire because she was left a lot of money by someone. Now, that's the sort of stuff I can't explain how I can do. I just have an image of where they are, make some inquiries, and there they are. And it's odd. It's very strange for me still, even now, like seven years later. But my business partner, he can see things like the matrix. So he, he looks at a situation and says, you guys are probably like this too. I'm not. If this goes here, then this goes there, then this goes there, then this goes there, then it all makes sense. And he can see it in his mind. I can't. It's just a blur of numbers, and squidgies. So that's w- what our strengths are. So w- what we've been approached a lot for lately, and um, this is what we're getting into, is, is dispute mediation. So the... The Dispute Tribunal, even though they've lifted the limits to 30k, there's still probably six months waiting to get in there. If you go to court, then it's just you having an argument through other people. So what our dispute mediation does is it basically finds the root of the problem and says, OK, well, this is obviously personalities have got involved here. So that's let's get rid of that. Let's just look at the root of the issue and let's deal with that and then everyone can move on. Because in every um, contentious situation, they get to a point where you cross that line. So it goes from being this work wasn't good to you're not good, or you should have done this for me as a client. You have now disrespected me as a person. Gets personal away. Exactly. So if we can depower that. Confrontation. Yeah, yeah, or that fuel, then we can get down to it. So we've had really, really good success where people went from, you know, beating each other up in the streets to a week later having the whole thing resolved, shaking hands and apologizing. No courts, no tribunals, just people sitting down going, let's peer this back to what it actually is. So
1: what does the future look like for investigations and reposition well, for, as, as an, an industry?
2: If IPI Group, which is our business, um, we are getting more into the professional services. So one really big thing is house cancellations. So people signing up to build a house or signing up to buy a house, thinking that they're easily able to get finance, not able to get finance, and then it falling over. So that can cost a homeowner uh, or, or a seller hundreds of thousands of dollars. So they would ask us to go and have a talk to the person and say, I understand that you are disputing this, but this is the situation. Let's find a way of being able to move forward. So it's it's not
0: really de-collection or de-recovery. It's... Dispute mediation. It's dispute mediation with it, without the use of a mediator, Or I guess. That's, oh, yes, where you guys come in, exactly, I guess. Exactly, yeah.
2: yeah. And so we're just people that are standing in between people. Yeah. yeah. And so, often it's just about empowering and saying to them, well, actually, this person has a really good point. You said this was going to happen. It didn't happen. Let's maybe look at capitulating uh, a little bit on this because it's not fair. Because what our, our our overarching ethos of our company is what's right, what's wrong, is wrong. Nothing no light will show something that's wrong being right and also conversely so if someone comes to us with something that's unreasonable like we've had people come to us asking us to kill people but I don't think you understand what we do, mate. <laughs> we're we're an investigation company that's licensed by the Ministry of Justice. We're not assassins. You don't want some.
0: Gammy there's leg.
2: that fine line. Final line, yeah. is it? So yeah. some <laughs> gammy leg middle aged dad yeah. old investigated <laughs> trying to be a ninja.
0: So how, what's what? I guess. Um, and, and we're coming to the end. Uh, I mean, there's there's plenty of stories that I know that you we can deep dive down into. Um, so what's the best way for businesses and people to protect themselves? yeah oh. to not see you. Um, well, you know, I, love, I love you dearly, but I don't want to see
2: you. Fair <laughs> well, one is check out what you buy before you buy it, and, and it's the adage: that if it looks too good to be true, it is. Right, like a couple of months ago, I bought a two hundred fifty thousand dollars watch. Right? What for five hundred dollars online from Hong Kong? No, from a proper reseller. They just missed. It was meant to be. Um, it was meant to be two hundred fifty thousand, but they'd missed off the two and made the five for five hundred. So they stuffed it. up. I bought it, and then they didn't ship it a big bit, of you know, bit of issues. But there's, there's no, if it even went to court, there's no way I can buy a quarter of a million dollar watch for five hundred bucks. So there's what's reasonable. If you've got a person who's about to leave the country, and it happens a lot with new immigrants, so um, especially from Southern Asia, so you'll have people fly in, do some work for six months, get a car on finance, then go back home. And as someone comes in, they'll sell them that car for like five. It's not always five grand, which is enough to get a ticket home and back. And then we will, and then they'll do a change of ownership and then we'll, we'll just turn up to the new address and grab the car. So what is what is the difference between secured and unsecured? A secured means yes. that you have a provable interest in a, in a good or a or an asset, a provable security. Do you have to be on a register yes, sorts? on the PPSR. So the personal property securities register.
1: And what does that do? Is that give you priority over everybody else? If It means that,
2: that if you're not paid, you can take that asset. But if, so it ring fences the asset. Yes, yes, it does. But it also travels with the asset. So if, even if you buy and sell it ten times, that security still stands. So also, if there's one thing that can uh, that can trump that, as as when a mechanic does work on the vehicle, or a, like a panel beater, or a painter, or or even a storage place, they have um, what's called a lien, which over which trumps a PPSR. So they have to be paid before we can legally take it out of there. So
1: what is the process behind getting a PPSR?
2: You get them to sign some terms of trade that it, or um, a contract that has a Personal Property Securities Act clause in it. And then you register it um, on on the MSD website for twenty five dollars. That lasts for five well, years. So and that can be uh, and I've seen people lose over a million dollars because they didn't spend twenty five dollars to become a secured credit. So if anyone wants to Google about the importance of that, just look up voidable transactions, in New Zealand. And that will show you that even if you are paid and you've spent the money, if it's a avoidable transaction, you could have to pay it back to a liquidator who's representing the person that you paid it to already, which is not a great feeling. No. Lastly, no.
1: I just got a question here that I mean, it's been in the back of my mind since some earlier conversations you've had. There's something to be said about bringing to a head. The value of mercy, the, it's a merciful act when somebody is forced into a situation where, where you come along and either remove the cobwebs that can service them yeah. or the business is closing down. Yeah. What are your thoughts about that as about the, the good that comes from people confronting and dealing oh, with it?
2: Oh, very, it's very good. I, um, when I was much younger, I had a situation where my life was a little bit out of control, and it only started to get real when my stuff started to get repoed. And I, I'm talking like 25 years 20, man, I'm old. <laughs> at least 20 years ago you know i had my couch repoed by a guy that i'm now in competition with uh, who, who runs another company and he reminded me about it on a job he goes remember when i repoed your couch and i said yeah that was one of the best days of my life I said, Why is that was that said because that's when i realized that things was starting to get bad and then i changed you know i had a really i had a credit score that was like minus 200 and now it's like 800 because i re- I realized that you know these things have have consequences but there's light at the dead of the tunnel. Absolutely. But you will never overcome an obstacle while it's still standing in front of you. You know, you have to find a way of it either being taken away. And also kids these days, I call anyone under twenty five kids. You guys probably do too, good or all old. But like, we've had to bankrupt an eighteen year old before. Wow. Over a twenty thousand dollar phone bill. Mm. That's ridiculous. Eighteen. They were credit active for nine months. When we had to serve bankruptcy notice. But
1: that's merciful because in three years' time they can yeah life's back to normal.
2: It is, but it's also... Three years. Already. It's also stress will kill you much faster than not having a car. Why? You know, like if you've got a car that you're paying $400 a week for, and I've seen this, like people earning $500 a week, they're paying 400 bucks a week on a $30,000 Mercedes or BMW. What's the difference? Like you're a student or, or you're starting out in work. We all had the... um Not crap cars. Affordable cars, you know, like my 40-score panel van or my Mark III Cortina or, you know, like... Dangerous. And it's like, back in those days, when I was younger, you worked up to things. Nowadays, there seems to be a, a culture where, oh, I can have it now. a bit, bit of entitlement expectation. Exactly, but I mean, who at 18 years old needs a $30,000 car? Unless you're like a farmer or you're doing something practical that needs that kind of equipment, why do you need to roll up to, you know polytech in a $30,000 customized car that you can't afford to get fixed because what a lot of people don't understand is that if a car was $200,000 20 years ago those parts haven't become that much cheaper. The car has it in itself, but a water pump for a you know $200,000 car might still be the same price now, 20 years later, as it was 20 years ago. Was it still new? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So people, I think that we're all in a rush to achieve things, and we're, and we're often stealing from ourselves in the future. Like I said to my son, yes, you can get your cultural related costs and you can borrow on your student loan, but just consult with future you first have a talk to future you and say
1: so ultimately there's something to be said about the the act of you turning up at a front door and helping people deal with their financial issues and in that there's something merciful about it what is your thoughts one of the
2: things because we bought re, uh, New Zealand Reposition Services in 2017 so we took it for, uh, we bought it from a guy who who lost his license And the reason that we wanted to take that over is so we could actually help people. Which sounds weird because we're taking their stuff, but because I learned how to get out of debt myself and also to get my credit rating from terrible to really good, I knew how to teach people that. So what we offer to people is, so here's who we are, here's what we're here to do. But what we can also do is put you in touch with people that can rebuild this with you. And actually having that opportunity to meet people at, their, at what some would say is their lowest ebb, it's actually quite an honour because you can actually assist people. And then we often get letters from people that we've repossessed the things from saying, thank you so much because that was probably the best thing that's happened to me because we're able to get in touch with us, we're able to get rid of this debt, We're able to actually breathe now. Oh, because people often don't think about the accumulative effect of stress. So if you deal with a little bit of stress and you sort of get it normalises and then you something else happens and then you get a bit more stress and you normalise it so you end up after months of just living at this high level of stress that you feel is normal but it's not it's just ultra heightened. So you always be more sensitive if someone says something or cuts you off in traffic. It just brings your life down. But then when you unburden yourself from those things, you're a lot more free. So there's light at the end of the tunnel. Oh, without a doubt. Like, if you look at all, all the top millionaires and billionaires in the world, most of them have been bankrupt at one point. Wow. It's because they learn the lessons. But usually they're only bankrupt once, maybe twice.
1: No, they don't make the same mistakes twice. Exactly. Yep. Excellent, now, that's the
2: perfect, sorry, do you want to comment on that? I was going to say that you only usually fall into the same hole once <laughs> and then you know where to look for it.
0: So Nick, so from your daily routine, I guess, have you developed any habits for you to get through your day knowing what's going on? So have you got any particular, you know, you talked about the billionaires only get bankruptcy yeah. once and you know, and there's all the talk about, oh, the billionaire habits, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So do you have any particular things or tips or tricks for you to function on a, on a daily basis yeah. that's mindset and
2: setting your intention but also not letting imposter syndrome creep and that's a big one for people that are successful especially successful for an early age because you don't know why you're good You just know that you are like, um, and the fact is that if someone gave me a name on a piece of paper, I'd be able to find that person. I know I can find them. I don't think I can find them. I know I can. I've done it thousands of times, but it's still easy to go. Oh, what if it doesn't work this time? What if I was just lucky the other 3,999 times? And you think, well, actually that really can't be real because if you're able to do something and repeat it, then it's real. Then it comes from a place of skill or actual real ability. So that's where I always seek
0: my intention. So do you do it in a mindfulness way, a meditation way, or just kind of wake wake up and go... I'm going to be really good today.
2: No, I'm just going to say that it's going to be a really good day today. And and we're going to meet some people and we're going to impact some lives and we're going to be respectful and we're going to
0: all come home safe. And you instill those values in and that, that philosophy with, with your kids and family and so Absolutely. Well. Yeah.
2: yeah. And so my children didn't know what I do for a while. And then um, at the daycare, the teacher came up to me and said, but I just had to talk to your daughter about what you do for a living. And I said, okay. She said, apparently you beat people up and steal cars. And I said, no. <laughs> neither <laughs> of those things are do, true. Do I look like an assassin ninja? Yeah. And, and I said, oh, I own a repossession company and an investigations company. And then she said, oh, would you beat people up? And I said, no. People often you know, will sometimes try and beat us up. And you know that very seldom happens. I don't think I need to be more clear. So now, if you ask my daughters what I do for a job, she says I help. I
0: help people that have made bad decisions make good decisions. Nice, <laughs> I like it. So in terms, in terms of that, and health and safety. Oh yeah, health and safety is going to be a massive part of your. It is. And, and each, each situation you, know, you face could be physical abuse, verbal abuse. You know, dogs. Yeah, you know, dogs, a whole lot of stuff. So obviously there, there's been some incidences in your career that's um, yeah. caused, some, caused some, not as bad as a motorcycle accident, obviously, but could oh, No,
2: there's been, a, I mean, very few
0: actually. Because um, you're de-escalating from, yeah, from, yeah, from the start,
2: right? Your number one skill, or your number one attribute you need to have is to be likable and to be able to de-escalate. Because they're not angry at you. And the minute that you say, bro, you're not angry at me, are you? You're angry at you. And I understand that. You know, I've been there. Um, But there are two ways that we can do this. One is we can, you know, make this easy as possible. If you're worried about your friends being embarrassed, just go and have a chat to them and say, hey, these guys are coming to fix my vehicle or something. Whatever you need to tell them to protect you is fine. But at the end of the day, that will be coming with us. Let's just work out the best way, the most, the most respectful way for that to happen. And if you come to someone and say, I want to do this in a respectful way, can you help me? They'll say, yeah. And if you say, I'm going to take this from you, try and stop me. Those are two very different questions <laughs> or two very, very different attempts. One is come beside me, let's work this out together as a, in, a, in, a, in a consultative approach. And the other is let's fight. And those once you set that intention, it's very hard to come away
0: from. But if you set the resolution um intention, that's very hard to fail. And and I, and I assume with your with um, every time you repo or free up an asset. Yeah. There is reporting and paperwork bob problem paperwork. I always you
2: know. like to put a humour into the reports and I get um, from some of these finance companies, I was just reading that report, it was really fun. <laughs> um, some of them aren't fun. Like we got chased around a chicken farm once by a guy who was on very high on methamphetamine. And if you've ever been chased around a chicken farm by a uh, a methamphetamine enthusiast on a dirt bike, you know, that's some fun.
1: Were any chickens harmed?
0: No. no, they
2: weren't. No. <laughs> he was a free range debtor.
0: <laughs> free range debtor. Yeah. I, I'm just seeing like a whole Benny Hills get in my mind there. <laughs> oh, it's pretty much <laughs> like that. I, must have
2: comment, oh, that's... Yeah, I mean, people are trying to hit us with cars and and things like that, but like, it's just about being aware. Like, we've got a really good health and safety company that we work with here in Tauranga. Um, I think you, you probably know David from Matrix. Matrix. Yeah, I mean, they'd be really, really, really good. And it's. It's been very really hard to find a health and safety person that can understand the fact that we could turn up to, like, once we nearly slid into a, a cesspit on a, oh. a on a dairy farm because it was raining and our wheel started to spin and we started sliding towards the cesspit. All I can imagine, I was drowning in effluent. Nice. So <laughs> we've got things for, like, dogs, um, people with... Uh, Communicable diseases, the amount of people that try to cough on us just asked after COVID, for, you know, for, for us to go away. I've got COVID. <laughs> you just arrived home from work. Like, right. we just saw you arrive. What are you up to?
0: Yeah. So you gotta you so you obviously have the time you get and probably presume your, your accident as well, you got quite a good bullshit meter Oh, very much so.
2: And it's yeah. just no point. Yeah. But you yeah. Just say to someone now, just before we get talking, because I've read the notes and I can see that often what you say is gonna happen doesn't happen. I'm not saying that you're dishonest, you might just be forgetful. So just so you don't forget, just realise this me and my business partner are human lie detectors you will not be able to lie to us, and that's cool, because I don't think you're going to.
1: That is not. a superpower.
2: Yeah, well, it is, but it also makes conversation, especially when I was single a couple of years ago, you go out on a date with someone, you're just like, well, within a minute you're like, mm, yeah, nah. <laughs> <laughs> like, nothing you've told me is true <laughs> yeah,
0: whatsoever. Yeah. And, yeah, so I would like to... Yeah, make your future available to you. <laughs> nice. You'll be a pain in the ass today. Yeah. So it's a good thing we don't. Well, so yeah. luckily,
2: luckily, my um, partner she is has a back, a background in education and neuroscience. Ah, okay. So one, she's intensely honest, and two, yeah, very, very, very intelligent.
0: So <laughs> it's really good. You can um, run, but you can't hide. exactly. So when you when you go into, into some of these different properties, you must see some interesting oh. things so just just before we wrap up give us one example of some of the craziest stuff that that's out there in properties that we shouldn't go to or what, what you know if there's some red rooms and torture chambers or- oh yeah
2: yeah <laughs> um, oh there's there was one that's near the kaimai's um that we we had to do an accompaniment for a lawyer who was a, um, a representative of a trust to see this property, and we turned in there and there was booby traps, like severe booby traps with like knives taped on the end of sticks on springs. There was trip wires. When we went into the house, there was a pair of shoes that were riveted to a piece of steel on top of a triangular platform that had a vice on the top, exactly where the legs that were attached to the shoes would intersect or would join. Right. Yeah, it covered, there was blood everywhere. Bulletproof vest. Blood stains everywhere. It was a lawyer? No, no. This was a person who had taken over a trust property, and there were underground rooms. There was a soundproof cellar that it looked like it had chocolate sauce all over it. It was vaulting. It, was, it just felt evil. Like, there's, you don't often feel it, but sometimes you go to a place, you just think
0: bad things have happened here. So how, you, so, how do you, again, so you, you've seen those. You wouldn't say so. Like, do, you, do you kind of close them off go, okay, that's how they live? That's cool. That's theirs. You don't dwell on it. You don't, no, don't, of, don't, you don't know, dwell on it, really. Because, I mean, the hard thing is the neglected
2: kids. Yeah. So, to see like a, a one or two year old being, you like know, running around in a house with a nappy full of poo with, you know, literally a foot deep of soiled nappies in a house that they're actively selling methamphetamine out of. And then you take the car, and then she hops in in her car with no warrant, no rejo, three wheels that look attached, and one that's a bit ropey, with a two year old on her lap, messed out of her head driving. So that's one of the rare instances that we did call authorities. We called OT, OT, and we called the police because you can't. That, that's if we if we were to leave that. Not that I knew. Not that I can even tell you that anything happened from that. But if we walked away and that child died. You know, because nothing in their situation was okay. You know, often, I mean, it's always best to keep a family together, but not if someone's actions are going to kill you.
1: Wow. Well, Nick, this has been a rollercoaster ride of emotion, this the <laughs> podcast. Uh, we've gone the highs and the lows. We've seen a bit of light at the end of the tunnel, but we've unfortunately finished on a, a bad note there with that tragic story of circumstance. What happens now is... Well, first of all, um,
2: how do people get hold of you? How do people get They can call 0800-HELP-IPI, which is IPI Group's number, and we'll visit www.nzipi.com or nzrepo.co.nz. But um, we are getting rid of the NZ Repositions brand, and we're putting it all under IPI Group because it's just growing so much it's so yep. fast. Yep. Um, can I just tell you one thing before we go? Absolutely. So this is one story I, I was thinking about. Um, I'm actually going to do a report for the FMA on this. So – We were called by an accountant, Chrissy. You know Chrissy, a really lovely lady. So she gave us a call and said um, she had a client who had invested $1.3 million with a friend of theirs who was an investment advisor. I was like, okay, no, this sounds all right already. So I went and met with this lovely couple. He was 80, she was 79. She had advanced dementia. And um, they were really, really worried because they'd um, invested this money with their trusted friend of 20 years. So I did some research and said, This guy's not an investment advisor. He's never been an investment advisor. He's an insurance advisor.
1: Different license for financial management.
2: And that he had invested this money and was meant to be giving them a 5% return. We whatever methods we legally used we were able to find out that he had not invested a cent unless uh, except in his own house so he'd purchased himself a house freehold so we went to see him and we said to him Jeff, let's say his name was Jeff is this your wife Margaret? and he said yes I said you've got five minutes to tell Margaret how you bought this house he said, I paid cash for it. And I said, whose cash did you pay with it, Jeff? He said, oh, well, actually, it was my friend's cash. And I said, did you tell them where it was invested? He said, no, but I've been paying, paying them the return. He said, no, you haven't. Um, so he ended up deciding to volunteer his house back to them. So he actually gave him the house. His his house it was sold, and we ended up getting back $1.15 million for them. His lawyer tried two years to get him to pay back a cent, didn't pay, pay back a cent. It took us seven days. Wow. And we got about $1.15 million. And then I got a call the other day that this guy um has just been put away for two years for financial abuse and misappropriation of funds and fraudulent use of a document. And apparently he's done it to 10 other people. Wow. Well, so yeah, that's it's really good when there's a person who has outsmarted everyone and is actually being a predator to vulnerable people, when you can put someone like that in a place where they can't do that kind of thing, that's satisfying. So, I mean, even probably equal with the toddler from the meth motel, that would be our best ever r- result. Not only because it's something that was impossible to do, but because it made a tangible difference to someone's life, like the end of someone's life. Those last 10 years when you get to spend with your family, especially if you're not well, that's very, very important. He doesn't have the right to steal that from
0: and yeah, so that was, that, that is probably my most proud thing that we've ever done. That's all. And that's where you want to get more and in, more into. Exactly. For that, that, that yeah. massive positive impact. I don't really want
2: to be going around dairy farms at 6am in the
0: morning standing
2: in cow poo to take back a ILux that's worth about $1,500. Mm. Yes, that's a valuable service. And I'm sure whoever does it after we finish will enjoy it. But what I'd rather be doing is actually dealing with bullies dealing with fraudsters and dealing with people who think they're smart enough that they have a right to take from other people. Just because, like, if I came into your shop and I stole a chocolate bar, that's shoplifting and theft. That's a crime. Yet if I I trick you into signing a document that gives me hundreds of thousands of dollars, you have to prove the intent that you intended to do that for it to be a crime. Otherwise, it's just a breach of contract. So it seems that theft and the consequences of theft is all relative to your intelligence and how crafty you are. And I don't think that's right. That doesn't make it right. It just makes it crafty.
1: The pinnacle of that would be the subprime Wall Street brokers. Oh, I
2: love that movie.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Who ultimately got away with it in the end after making millions at other people's expense.
2: But there are people right now walking around town, especially in certain industries, that may or may not involve hammers, that walking past the that they haven't paid that are now penniless and like having to get assistance f- for the government. And these guys have got like $200,000 Range Rovers, freehold houses, inside trusts. It just seems that... White-collar crime gets yeah, away with justice. or it's not even a crime. It's just the way you do business. And it seems that there is a real dichotomy between what happens when you're, oh, I hate to say lowly educated, but when you're not as well educated in how to get away with things... Than other people are. That doesn't mean you're any more honest. So I love it when we bring justice to people that could never th- that would never think it was available to them. Because the police, if you went to the police and said, "I let my mate thirty thousand dollars and he hasn't paid me back," there's one answer, which is, that's a civil matter. Oh. Mm-hmm. and you go to a lawyer. Oh yeah, you owe me thirty grand. I might charge you five grand to get it back, six grand to get it back. Okay. And that is then treated like a debt, not a fraud. So it's proving that intent
0: that's the hard thing to do because you can't get inside someone's mind, not legally. Nick, you have certainly a lot of ferrets that you're taming. A number of businesses and you bought businesses and had a very chequered past and fulfilling life thus far.
2: Chequered past? <laughs> oh, I hardly think so. No. You <laughs> Never heard um, of the
0: crime in my life. No, you've had a, you've had a past that's helped you that's identify kind of nice. and be empathetic for the people, not even your customers, but your end users. Of course. of your service, which which has been fantastic. Love the positive impact that you're having on on the community. As usual, we have the last the last question come through our our book of secrets. Our, oh, so our, 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 secret, our secret secret question. Then. That was that was that from? that was done from the previous guest. Can you just write that? No, no, no. I did not write this. Our previous guest wrote this, and you'll be writing the next question for our next oh, guest. Oh course. Um, this is a very simple one though. Red or white wine? I don't drink alcohol. So that the answer to that neat. Read grape juice. I like. There you go. There you go, and I'm a total teetotaler. <laughs> and go and and which brings you on to that, those habits and good health lifestyles. Not drinking alcohol. Now, yeah, that's all. That's part of it, right? You're probably oh, well,
2: COVID. I think turned us all either into ex-alcoholics or alcoholics. I mean, it was terrible. The only thing you could have have delivered to your house was alcohol. Mm. You know, so yeah, I've been through a, a bit of a COVID thing. I I nearly got fat again. So then I decided I just stopped drinking alcohol because I I like my car a lot more than I like drinking.
0: Nice. Nice.
2: Emil, any questions from you? No, I think. Do you want to know a tip to see if your spouse is cheating on you or not? Not really, (laughs) but tell us, sure.
0: (laughs) (laughs) For all the the listeners out there, they'll probably want to know all this tip about
2: Yeah. So basically, anyone that is being, uh, unless they've got a major big plan, you know, and they're very, very, very conniving. People will often be very secretive with their phones. They either, if they're on the desk, they have them upside down. So, the, if you ever want to just ask a simple question to your spouse, make sure that your phone's in your bedroom, away from them, and then just make sure they've got their phone, and just say to them, "Is it okay if I use your calculator or on your phone? I see to work something out, and see what their reaction to that is. If it's, "Oh, you give me the numbers, and, and I'll put it in." They don't want you to have access
0: to their phone. Yeah, it's interesting because I I asked my partner the other day, can I use your phone? Oh, can can you unlock your phone? No, it's a work phone. You can't have access What? Mm. What? Are
2: you- <laughs> oh, you're in trouble when you get back home. But but did you explain to him that it's that it's very important to be able to add up these things you need?
0: To her, yeah.
2: Oh, sorry. No, I don't judge. I'm no, that's very that's woke. So, right.
0: uh, no. What was it? Was it was just? Um, uh, I didn't even need to use the phone. I was just like, oh, can I can't use the phone. It's his work phone. Because it's work phone, oh, I gotta gotta keep it secured. Yeah. There's about three three different ways that retina and thumbprint and everything
2: yeah i'll be looking into that one mate
0: jeez thanks nick (laughs) uh
1: thanks again nick for coming appreciate your time we've hopefully this has been an informative and insightful podcast for our listeners and the people have learned something along the way so thank you over from me that's all from me
2: it's all from nick it's all for me
0: thank you goodbye see you next time like what you hear? Don't forget to follow us on social media at Taming the Ferrets. And to give us a five stars on your favourite podcast provider. We're New Zealand's best kept secret, but don't be afraid to share us with the world. Want to do your own podcast? Have some stories to tell? Or want to be an industry leader? Want to have market exposure via podcasts and even sponsor a show? Connect with the people at podhub.com for your perfectly placed presentable podcast.